We are in Titus. We will bounce out of Titus briefly here today. Last week, uh, we anchored in 11 through 14, which is really just a fabulous gospel-saturated paragraph. If you need, if you need food to meditate on, uh, if you want to, you know, I, man, I really want to try and cultivate this heart for Christ, uh, this love for God and what he has done, really just to abide in him. It's a great place to start, 11 to 14 there. Um, it's a, it's a unique paragraph in that it is oriented pretty much smack dab in the center of his letter. And everything prior to that and everything after that really is anchored on that center point there. And that is truly the gospel message. It is from that that he gives the authority to rebuke uh, those who are rebels against the gospel message back early in chapter 1. It is from that that he exhorts the saints within the church, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, in their walk with Christ and bond servants. And from here we conclude chapter 2 in a single verse. And that single verse, Stephanie, would you read verse 15, please? These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Simple, a simple sentence. But what we see here is really a, a profound sentence because within this sentence you see pastoral authority exemplified. Um, we have just come off that gospel-saturated paragraph. We have just come off of exhortations to the saints. We've just come off of what an overseer is in, in chapter 1 and, and how to rebuke those who stand opposed to the gospel. And then Paul tells the young pastor, teach these things, declare these things. The word is simply speak these things. These are the things that a pastor is to be about. Why were deacons appointed to the church in Acts chapter 5? Yes! To free up the apostles for the purpose of teaching. Now, it's not that care for the body is inconsequential or unimportant. It is. It is very important. But you see the supremacy of the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. That that is what the apostles were to be about. The deacons were the ones who were to go and make sure that um, Mary Taylor's tire is changed. Can he do that? Yes, he sure can. Absolutely. But God's desire as is that 
those who can take care of those things do those things so that he can focus on his responsibility to the church to declare these things. He has an authority. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Um, which is, it, it's huge. This whole thing just kind of knots together. You got, almost have to just stew in this, in this single verse. He tells, that, tells Titus to exhort. What's that? Great word. Love that word. Encourage. Okay. Some translations will actually have the word encourage. Is that what yours? Yeah. Okay. Encourage. What is what? what do, challenge. Challenge more so. <clears throat> it can be a challenge, but we've got we've got kind of the two. Go ahead. I was going to say, is it more telling the person what they're doing correctly? Maybe. Um, you're a coach. Okay. Do you tell the kids what they're doing correctly? Do you tell them what they're doing incorrectly? What else do you do? Do you, what? Okay. You may have to motivate. Do you ever get out on the court? Yes. Do you ever pick up a volleyball? Do you ever serve it yourself? Yes. Do you ever show them how to set it Andre properly? Game, of course, uh, <laughs> in, in practice, do you do this? Yes. Of course. The whole idea, the, the kind of the root of the word is to come alongside me. Come here. Walk beside me and let me show you. Let me show you how it's done. But it's in, it's in a declaration. So it, it, is, it is encouraging. It can be instructive. Um, it can be, yes, way to go, pat on the posterior kind of idea. Okay, so there's the positive of this that is the responsibility of the pastor. The negative of that is then to rebuke. What is a rebuke? Correction. Okay, it is a correction, which implies... Something is wrong. Something is amiss. Okay? The sense here is, is actually in this word to bring shame to bear. How would you like that? Do you like that? Do you want shame brought to bear on your life? No. I don't like that. Too bad. Why? Because we are all broken. None of us is perfect. And so part of a pastor's responsibility is to highlight the things that are amiss. So that there is then conviction in your life to go, this is wrong. Before the living God, I am, you know, Fonzie never could say it, wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. So you have both the positive and the negative here. 
Now, for a pastor to be able to do this, what must be true? Okay, he's got to he's got to know this. I just shut my page. Okay, what else does he have to know besides this? The people. He needs to know the people. He needs to know you. In the church, we have got to be involved with each other. We've got to. Um, masks and facades, you can put them up and nobody will know what's going on inside your heart until you have a conversation. Until maybe you have coffee. Until maybe you're working together. Until maybe you have a time to drive together. That may never come out. And so it is imperative that we be involved in each other's lives. I think it goes beyond that because you don't even have to let it out then. I mean, you have to be willing to open up to mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can keep the mask on. You, you, some people are really good at it. On the, on the complete opposite thing, you have to go to church or at least someone knows your name. In modern days, that's an interesting awesome. <laughs> problem to, to like know, knowing people that and caring about people who prefer to stay in a, a state of anonymity within their right. within whatever churches they frequent. Right. So in fear of some people, some people don't like big churches for that reason. But I, I tell you, Doctor Bob can't know everybody. Yeah. He can't, which is why he's not the only pastor of the church. That is why a multiplicity of elders, that's one of the many reasons a multiplicity of elders is necessary within a church. So that you can know these people. And it's, that's why it's so important when new people come in that we get to know them. We get to know them. So... In some, in some sense here, a pastor has to be an assessor. You know, now, the pastor is not, the pastor is, he's, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be, let me rephrase that. The pastor shouldn't be sitting there going, okay, Ab, come on, I got, I got these 10 questions, we're just going to kind of see you know, what, what's going on in your life and you need to be really open and honest about this so I can either exhort you or rebuke you. Now, you know, that's... He's, he's not to just be standing in judgment of you all of the time. But in relationship, these things come out. And they must. They must. Man, if, I, if I'm struggling somewhere... To have my brothers come alongside me and go, go that way. See that? Run that way. Oh, yeah, okay, thank you. Take the next step, brother. Breathe. Open the word. Saturate yourself in the word. And so true that the pastor who does not know the word cannot give you the word. 
He cannot rebuke you in accordance with the word. He cannot exhort you in accordance with the word if he doesn't know the word. And so it is critical that pastors and those who desire that office, elders, and really everyone in the church must be steeped and saturated in God's word. Man, we could, we could, we could talk for hours uh, just on, on this thing. We'll move on. He's supposed to do this with all authority. <coughs> From where comes this authority? Okay. From where, where do we get the word? From God. From God. Okay. The church. Is this a man-made construct? No. This is a supernatural organization. This is a God-created organization. It is a God-created organism. There's the big C church. There's the little C church. Churches all around. With a structure from whence cometh this structure. How do we structure the church? How do, how do Scripture, again, the word God has said that there will be teachers, there will be pastors and teachers, that there will be those, there will be prophets. There will be those who are gifted in mercy. There will be those who are gifted in giving. There will be those who are da 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 And it is assembled by the living God. It is put together by God. And God has given pastors authority to declare these things and to exhort and to rebuke. And this is a, an extraordinary and it is a grave responsibility because it can be abused and misused. Pharisees, great example. We're the teachers, and we're going you know, to tell you everything, what to do. They use it as a bludgeon or as a hammer on the people. So this, this responsibility must be handled. This authority with which he is to declare these things has to be handled with humility as exemplified in Jesus Christ himself. Tracy, would you flip over to John chapter 8, please? John 8, verse 28. And then verse 38. Uh, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Okay. I'll stop you right there. We'll go to 38. Just God the Son said, I do nothing of my own authority but only that which the Father has taught me. God the Son. 
submitted wholly to God the Father. Verse 38. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Okay. I speak what I have seen from my father. What did Jesus do? Jesus do Jesus did what the father was doing. Jesus said what he was given to say. Okay? If that's true of God the Son, how much more for me standing up here for the, our brothers and sisters who are back there for him when he stands up this morning up there? What authority does he have of his own? None. What must he declare? Only what God has given. It's here. His opinions are no more valid than anybody else's. If those opinions come saturated and founded upon biblical building blocks, now we go, oh, those have weight to them. And that would be talking about something, you know, maybe even political. There, if he's discussing something political, your political opinion, you know, whatever. You know, Bernie Sanders, Ocasio-Cortez, Donald Trump. How do we weigh and assess them? Hopefully by scripture. What are, what are their politics? What are their points? But that's, that's for discussion. That's not for preaching. There. He is giving us he is parsing out God's word as we're even doing right now. Now, just, just briefly, there, uh, as I was doing my reading on this, John MacArthur highlights, and I think it's important just to touch on these quickly, four false authorities that we have, four false authorities. Uh, one, first authority is kind of a personal authority, kind of the charismatic guy. You know, just on his charisma or just maybe on his credentials or his past, you go, oh, that guy, I'm going to listen to him. But that, that, who you are really before the living God gives you no authority other than that you are created in his image. You are fallen and broken just like everybody else. The other... False authority is um, ecclesiastical or church authority. Uh, you can think of some churches that have put themselves in a position almost of God. That we declare what God's word is. Apart from this. The Roman Catholic Church. That's what led to the Reformation. Uh, church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with apostles present day. Same thing. New revelations. There. Church authority, warning, danger. It's a false authority. Uh, intellectualism is really big today. Science. Science. So intellectualism is a false authority. Science doesn't trump everything. Science also is subservient to the living God because God is the one who created an orderly universe to be discovered. 
Sometimes you even get biblical scholars who are claiming, you know, just by their intellectual studies and such to have an authority that really they don't have uh, apart from God's word. Probably the biggest false authority today is experience. I feel this is right for me. If it runs in conflict with the word of God, you don't have a leg to stand on. So the pastor's authority is an authority delegated to him by the living God. And he must declare these things and really be out of the way. It is God's word uh, that he is proclaiming. And with this comes the, the, the qualifier at the end. Or not qualifier necessarily, but the encouragement. Let no one disregard you. Why would he say this? Because he's young. Okay. Titus, yes. Maybe. When you're declaring truth, you're going to have people rebel. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of disregarding is going around you. It's like I don't even see you. I'm just, I'm just going to ignore you. And Paul to Titus is let no one disregard you. So, how do we do this? How do we do this in this world? By the way, let no one disregard you. No one. Let no one disregard you. There's no loopholes in there. Well, disregard also just to have no value in what that person is saying. Because I think about, like, we constantly disregard, like, warnings from the CDC or stuff like that. Like, all right, whatever. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, no thanks. But, like, because it's, it's definitely linked to that, that authority right there. Like, you will speak with authority, and it's important that everyone knows that they don't, that, that this is authoritative word directly coming from an apostle. Not, not just something they have to obey out of honor, but. Do I have to gin up anger? No. <laughs> Do I have to speak louder to. Have this authority? No. I don't. If if I am doing this to try and make myself, I'm I'm missing it. Where is my authority? God. In His Word, God's Word will not return void. So trust Him. Trust Him. So we are encouraged and exhorted, and it's going to come out here a little bit later as well, to do this with grace and kindness and truth. I don't, I don't have to be brash. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be yelling. I don't have to dominate. How does this really <clears throat> apply here? Because... Um... If you want to disregard something that I say, I can't make you not do it. So what what is he really saying here? Because 
You can't control other people's feelings and their actions. If he gets dismissed because he's the pastor of a little church in a little town on a little corner in North Texas, and he then goes up to his office and sits under his desk, he's been disregarded. He can't, I mean, you, you can't, you're right, you can't control people, but you can't stop doing what you're doing. Right. Right. Keep going. Tells Timothy essentially the same thing. Let no one look down on you for your youth. So basically, don't take it personally. Pretty much. I'm reminded here of like the constable we have here in Wichita Falls who goes around handing out like warrants and evictions and that kind of stuff. Like it's a very intense, but it, but like it's not like a cop comes to make an arrest. They're like, this is very serious. This is from the judge. Do not disregard this. I'm not going to arrest you right now, but I need you to know, like, it's this not personal. It's important. No, you, they can yell and be like, well, have a nice day. I gave it to you. <laughs> so this is, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a single verse <laughs> plopped right in here, but it is a, it is a fat verse with the, the responsibility, the extraordinary responsibility, the extraordinary authority vested in the pastor to do his work. And we, within the church, need to go, yes, go do. And be willing to hear those exhortations and those rebukes. And be willing to have not only the pastor, but other people in our lives within the church. To be transparent. Why? For the strength of the body of Christ. For God's glory. And so, you know, as, as we move on this letter, this letter, again, there's not numbers, there's not breaks there. So the letter continues here in the very next verse. Uh, Eb, would you read chapter 3, verse 1, please? Sure. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Okay. So he says, Paul writes to Timothy, remind them. Which implies what? That they already know. What did you say, Stephanie? They have forgotten. Okay. You know... Uh, guy I work with talks about penguins on the iceberg. You can only put so many penguins on the iceberg. Once you put another penguin on, another one just falls off the other side. It seems like I can only handle so much in my brain before in one ear, out the other side. Um, and so to remind them because they're going to forget. But like Tracy mentioned, they should know this. Why? Because Paul probably taught them these things when he was with them and established the church. Um, I'm just I'm reading through Nehemiah. Or just finished actually reading through Nehemiah. And as Nehemiah comes back in, you know, to set up the walls, he finds that the priests 
and the Levites have taken wives from surrounding nations. He's like, what? Do you not remember the law? You're supposed to be the teachers of the law, and you're violating the law. We need to put away those wives. And so there was a big reform there, and they did that. Well, Nehemiah's governor for 12 years there in uh, Israel, and he goes back for a time back to Babylon to meet with the king there. And he comes back, and you know what? He did it again. <laughs> Do we need to be reminded? Yeah, we need to be reminded. So, pastors, teachers, parents, how many times do you have to tell your kids to do something? And I was like, what? And every time you get frustrated with your kid, you can just throw a glance to the living God and go, I'm sorry. How many times does he have to highlight the same truth to me? Entropy, spiritual entropy sets in. We are lazy. There must ever always be reformation in our own lives. This is why we must exhort and encourage one another. This is why it's important to be involved in our lives so that I know what to exhort and what to rebuke. And, and really, yes, this is, this is for pastors, but this is true for all of us. As a man, my heart's desire should be to exhort my fellow men. Women is to exhort your sisters in Christ. Older women to train the younger. I mean, all the stuff that he's already talked about. He moves from here, tells them, remind them to be submissive. Okay, we talk about that a lot here. We talk about it being a good thing. Again, the word hupotasso means I'm putting myself underneath. By implication, there is an equality. For me to put myself under somebody else already implies an equality. I am putting myself on purpose under the authority of another. In this case, it is to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Which rulers and authorities? Okay, good. Joseph, what authorities, what rulers do you have in your life? Okay, in the military, you got the whole chain of command structure. It's built out. Okay, who's what authorities do you have, Ev, in your life? Mm. Uh, I mean, a boss and then general government around me. Which government? Uh, all the way down to the local. Yeah, we got the local. Communities. <laughs> we got we got our community government. We got county yeah. government. We've got state government. We've got federal government. Layers upon layers of government. Who are you supposed to be submissive to? Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I don't like that guy. Too bad. Teaching like our kids about that. It's like we have authorities, and if we get out of line, we get real consequences. Like <laughs> yes. 
yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, but you're always going to have to answer to somebody. What if, you know, I want to do this to my room and blah, 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 blah. You go, okay, move out, get an apartment. What can you do with that apartment? I want to take out this wall. Exactly. You are under his authority. Hey, I want to, you know, practice my drums at two in the morning because I work until one and it really helps me relax. No, 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 you can't. You're under authority. So he says to be submissive. So put yourself under there. Accept that authority. Where does authority, where do these authority structures come from? God. Where do you get that from? His word. word, Romans chapter 13. Go back and read 1 through 7 of Romans 13. Saturate yourself in that. There is no authority. There is no authority apart from God. And those to whom he delegates it. Does that mean even crummy rulers? Yep. Lousy bosses? Yep. Tyrants? Yep. They are answerable to him. Just as you are answerable to how you will submit. How does he want us to submit to the rulers and authorities? To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. Be obedient. Be obedient to the laws. Okay? Say that to a libertarian. Watch them melt like the Wicked Witch of the West. No, be obedient to the laws over you. Well, it's an unjust law. Are you violating God's law in obeying that law? No, then obey the law. If it violates God's word, now you've got a higher authority to answer to. And, oh, by the way, you're going to suffer for it. I'm going to do what God says. Well, you're going to be in jail. You're going to be executed. Okay? The laws of Colorado or Amsterdam are not excusing from God's laws. Yeah. I mean, your, your life better be saturated here, better be saturated in prayer, better be saturated in fellowship, because those days may come a whole lot faster than we expect them to. Ever. Be obedient. Ready for every good work. Be a good citizen. Do your J-O-B. Do your job. Work. Labor. Have them look at you and go, man, I wish all the citizens were like that. I wish all my employees were like that guy. He's, I mean, there are a couple of guys at my work. I go, him. I want something done. I'm going to talk to him because it's going to be done before I get back to my office. Great guy. Great guy. Happens to be a Christian, too, which is a, a great testimony. I got another brother who is a Christian there who, it's like, eh. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not going to give that task to him. 
Don't be that guy. Be a guy ready for every good work. So remind, remind you, brothers and sisters, be submissive to those over, author, those over authority with you. This next section is guard your, guard your, yeah, Joseph. I think in this discussion, it's important for us to remember and teach our kids uh, that authority is like a really good thing as well. It's not just a rule thing. It's not just a consequence Beautiful. thing. <clears throat> we were reading a, a book on this a few days ago, and it referenced this uh, Psalm 119, verse 43. I, I, take, I take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. And another translation talks about the, uh, the, wide, the wide place referring to freedom, like finding freedom by seeking yes. the precepts of God. And so, um, and it maybe one example would be just like cops, like I, I hate getting pulled over, going slow and not being able to speed or something, but the cops protect us, like we don't have crime, because, and so there's, there's, a, there's a freedom with that uh, authority. Uh, right, I've used the example of the fence around the playground. That fence is, is an authority, and you've got all kinds of freedom between the fence. You jump the fence and you're going to get hit by a truck. Yes, God, you know, the family, a God-given organism. God-ordained organism. Government, a God-ordained organism. The church, a God-ordained organism. These are all good. Very good. Great, great point. Awesome. Okay, guard your, guard your mouth. Guard your maw. Great word, maw. Guard your pie hole. Guard your mouth. Uh, verse 2, speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Speak evil of no one. What does this not mean? Speak evil of no one. It doesn't mean never say anything but good things about people. But the Bible says speak evil of no one. You've got to understand it in context. Just go back a chapter. Many, they're insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Okay. Are those happy, happy little points about somebody else? Are they true? Yeah. So, so it can't mean don't say... Don't declare negative things about somebody or to somebody. What then does it mean? I see it as I'm seeing like wishing evil upon someone. Like you may. Okay. Like that's. The word is actually blaspheme. <clears throat> blaspheme no one. Do not speak wrongly about anyone. Do not malign them. 
Do not try to bring them down. Is that true? No, it's not true. I'm speaking evil of Olivia. I am maligning her character. I think in chapter one, when he was speaking negatively about those people, those were people who were leading Christians astray by their teachings. I think, you know, the context of how you're talking about someone is important. I mean, there's somebody who's coming into a church and teaching things that are false. You have to point that out as what it truly is. Can I rebuke you without a without a negative connotation? I don't I think so. I mean it depends on what you're rebuking me. I I don't like it I like mean if, I can tell my children you you just you know licked something disgusting. I mean I probably shouldn't say it like that. But <laughs> it's the truth though. Yeah. I mean to to rebuke somebody means there's gonna be some negative there, but that's not evil. I'm not maligning your character. I'm not. I am not trying to crush you, and and that that should never be. I mean, I, I hear I hear Christian men speaking evil of the in the political realm all the time, and that is not what we need to be about. Let us please absolutely discuss the political issues objectively. But I don't need to be slanderous. I don't need to malign. Did you see that picture of so-and-so on Drudge today? Well, they're never going to have a good picture of these people. You know, they're, they're caught with their face twisted in, in, in all its ugliness. I would say those false pictures are maligning. They're intended to make you think and feel a way that is not true. And that is not what we need to be about. Yes. You know, I, I, I really love the, the word malign. The word malign fits so nicely in there. To mischaracterize somebody in a manner that they are actually not. Avoid quarreling. Okay? Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. What does that not mean? It doesn't mean not to confront people. It doesn't mean don't confront. It doesn't mean don't argue. <clears throat> How do I know this? Look at chapter 1, verse 9. An overseer, an elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. How is he going to do that? By making an argument. Based on what? Based on the word of God. You go into Acts and you see that Paul goes into the synagogue to persuade men about who Jesus Christ is to try and convince them. What is that? 
an argument. Okay? So what does it mean to avoid quarreling? Is to, is not. Is to, is not. It's a, it's, a, it's a condition of the heart, just being ready to fight and be at odds and on any and everything. It's funny with our, you know, our kids, I'm like, there was no reason that you had to argue about that. The toddler just said something that was made up. You could choose to argue or move on if you wanted to argue. And that, that's how adults like it's funny. Some people are always up for good uh, argument and quarrel. Also, there are some who provoke on purpose just to have an argument. So that is intent. Yeah. Do you really care about the other person? Let me... Let me understand your point. So rather than be quarrelsome, I just read a book by a guy named Greg Coco called Tactics. was really rich. And he talked about, hey, you are an ambassador. You are, you are working on diplomacy. You are representing the king of kings. It's diplomacy, not D-Day. You don't need to take the beach. You don't need to gun them all down. You simply need to represent your king properly. Why? You know, how did you come to that conclusion? Somebody says something. To show them respect and honor. Go, I actually want to hear how you came to that conclusion. Or, I don't understand what you mean. Could you explain a little bit more about what, what do you really mean by that? Just a couple of simple questions to really show that you're listening and engaged, and those questions can ultimately begin to dissect their argument, and you go, there's nothing to this argument. And you wouldn't necessarily say that to their face, but a couple of, of simple <clears throat> questions of how you came to that conclusion and what do you mean by that can really begin to show them the weakness of their own point. Instead of putting them on the defense. Yeah. Are you crazy? Doing this, being argumentative. That, that's, that, that, is, that is not what we are called to. So avoid this. And in this, he then goes to your basic demeanor. So therefore, pastor, when you declare these things, therefore, saint, when you are out there doing these things, be gentle. Show perfect courtesy Toward all people. If you can't go, thank you for sharing your opinion. Um, I gotta go. You know, perhaps we can we can talk about this again another time. You know, if you're not handling it well, if you're feeling the the pressure is going, and you're you're ready to Vesuvius all over this guy. Might need to back away. So be gentle, moderate, be patient, appropriate to the discussion. Courteous, humble, meek, gentle. And then this, this paragraph that, that we, 11 through 14, that we broke down last week again to, man, go sit in it. Go sit in that hot tub and, and just relish it. He then 
calls them back to, in verse 3, for we ourselves were once. The person across from you is not the enemy. Never has been. They are created in the image of the living God. They are lost and they are cascading toward hell. And your job is to grab hold of them and go, no, don't. I care about you. Our battle is against the unseen realm. Against the, our own flesh. And against the world system that people are, are, are swept into. And, and Paul exhorts Titus to remind them of where you once were. You were there. You were on the other side. You were dumb. Why were you dumb? Because you were blinded last sermon. You didn't understand. You didn't comprehend. And he goes and listen, lists these characteristics of what you were once. You were once foolish. Fool says in his heart, there is no God. You were once disobedient. You were once led astray, deceived. You were once. This is you. Hey, don't, don't, don't be getting arrogant. Don't be climbing up on your pedestal and looking down and throwing thunderbolts. You were once, hey, let's remember God's grace in our own life. You were slaves to various passions and pleasures. The word for pleasure there is the word we get hedonism from. It's all about me. Passing our days. ESV renders it passing our days in malice and envy. That means you, you're just one big, oh, I'm bitter about Bob because Bob's got it and I wish Bob would fail. I want what the Everett's got. I want to hunt off my back porch. Hated by others and hating one another. You were once. But. That's where we'll pick up next week. I would. Verses, verses three. And then four through. Seven. Verses three and then four through seven. Couple up. Beautifully with a three, chapter 2, 11 through 14. Again, to meditate on where you once were. That's verse 3 of chapter 3. Where you once were. And then 4 through 7 is why you aren't there anymore. Why you aren't there anymore. And it is breathtaking. Because it exalts Jesus Christ. Any, uh, any closing comments on uh, our study here this morning? Thoughts? All right, you're dismissed.